The Lord be with you. And tonight I want to return one more time to blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Uh, I, I need this extra hour to finish our definition of what the word is. Because as I said before, it is the most difficult word in the New Testament to translate into English. And the reason is, as I've said, um, the world uh, is disgusted with the word meek. Uh, if you want to see the rise of the very opposite of meekness, then talk about meekness. Uh, the, the world describes it as cowardice, it mocks it, it says it, it, it's a wimp, it's letting you be the doormat of, of people. And, and what, where comes this rage at meekness? Why is there such a feeling of disgust at the word meekness? Because meekness is what essentially was thrown out in the Garden of Eden. It's at the very beating heart of the rebellion of mankind against God. And in the place of meekness comes, you shall be as God. And so we can dance around a lot of words and the world doesn't get too upset. I mean, if you talk about love, well, they, they think, of course, of, of love in, in the world, but at least it's a, it's a word they go for. Um, joy, oh yeah, we like to be happy. Peace, who doesn't want it? And so on. But when we come to this word, there's no no possibility of thinking other. They, they know what it means and they rage against it. And therefore, any words that we would use in English have already been tainted by the world. And that's what makes it very difficult. In this word, we have come, we've come to it, right now. This is the heart of everything. If I'm going to love you as God loves me, then I have got to deal with meekness. We've got to know how the Holy Spirit produces this in me as a fruit, because I'll never love you as Christ has loved us without having come through meekness. Okay, we have in, in the last week looked at what uh, meekness is. I didn't finish it, but let's just do a quick look back. It's knowing one's place, knowing one's place. I think I use the word submission. Uh, essentially, the word means that I, I found my place where I belong and I intentionally step into it. And what is that? Well, I am a creature. You see right there, we've hit that Garden of Eden lie because Satan said, you shall be as God. No, no, we're not God. We, we says the psalm, we are made just, just a tad below God. We are the highest of God's creation. We are the most magnificent, incredible, mind-blowing creatures but we're not God. We are made creatures, and we were made by the Creator, and therefore I cannot even begin to fully live. I cannot discover my union with Christ. I cannot comprehend that I'm the beloved of God until I recognize I'm a creature, and I depend upon my Creator for my life. 
I depend upon him for the fullness and abundance for which I was created. I, I cannot find it within myself. And so it begins there. I take my place. I'm a creature. I'm not God. But then it's trusting his love toward us. We don't say that he loves us very quickly. We mull it over because I am trusting myself to the love of God, that he is always for us. Romans 8 says, if God be for us, take that and sleep on it for a few weeks. He is for us. Do you get it? He's pro us. He's on our side. He made us to delight in us. His love. And he said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. That's an enormous statement. Never, never, see, never leave us in the lurch. Never let us slip out of his hand. But he is with us and with us for good in every situation and every detail of life. He is the one who gives meaning to it all, and he is the one who is inside of the details of our life, working all things together for good. It's the love of God. And the meek person has come to trust that love. I come to rest in it, no longer debating it, no longer on one foot and then on the other, trusting. And so the meek is one, so trusting him would say, he is my shield. That is, I don't have to wonder about that. As the Psalms describe it, he's a shield all the way around me, a protective um well, shield I said, is, is, the, is the biblical word, but I, I was thinking almost of a bubble of his presence, and, and we trust him. I say again, no debate on that. When I walk out into life, I know he is my shield. He is my protector in all situations, and, and in the wandering wilderness of life, he is my guide through. He is my personal roadway. He is the one who leads me through and provides all that I need in every situation. He is the shepherd that will never let me go. That, that's what it means to trust his love. It's not just a fact filed away under L. It's, it's that in every tick-tock, tick-tock, Trusting him in this moment, whatever this hour brings to me, trust him. And so it, it slides easily into the fact that meekness entrusts every detail and every person in our life to him. You see, I trust him, but then I entrust, I, I put into his hands the details and persons in my life. Of course, they are actually already in his hands. But to entrust him is, I agree with him. And so with intent, I recognize and 
act according to the fact that every detail and every person in my life is in his hands. And that includes my loved ones. And I, I commented, I believe, last week on your, your children. And, and some people live in a state of anguish, anxiety, and anger over their loved ones that are not performing as you would like them to. Well, I, I'm saying meekness takes them. And you might do it so literally as to put out your hand and see it as the hand of God and take your your boy and put him into the hands of God and, and take your husband, your wife, and put them in the hand of God. Take, take that interview you have to have and put it into the hands of God. And, and, and therefore, it's no longer my worry. I, I am now free to do everything that I possibly can but to recognize the matters in God's hands I can turn over and go to sleep, even though, of course, the world thinks you're crazy if you can do that. You're supposed to worry, aren't you? You're supposed to lose your peace. No, the meek have put their whole life and into God's hands. And also, of course, that includes enemies. They are part of the people in our life. And we we don't uh, anxiety over enemies, rather we place our enemies in God's hands. All persons in our life, huh. and of course that includes our house, our properties. It includes the home that we have inside the house. See, the, these are the areas in which we erupt in worries and fears and angers and irritation and annoyances and your business is included there whatever it is that you own as a business but wherever you work in a business or factory or, or school or whatever it is it's in his hands you are not the god handling this you are part of it and the whole thing is in his hands and that includes your health you don't sit down and say, now it's flu season. Or, or nor do you sit down and say, you know, my arthritis or my diabetes. No, it's not. It's taken, placed in the body of Jesus on the cross. And it's in his hands. It's in his hands. That's what trusting and entrusting him means. And it includes mental health. It includes emotional health as well as your body. It includes your destiny and your future. It includes your bank account, your finances. It includes your honor. You no longer have to fight for your honor. David said to the Lord when he was the most extreme negative situation, he says, you are my glory. You are my glory. That's your, you are my honor. Even though the whole nation was trying to strip him of just that. It's a, we, we, we are his for him to guard us and keep us and to bless us. We've entrusted our life to him. It's a very definite, intentional act of saying, this is where I'm going to discover his love. And then meekness expects. There's an expectation. We, we, we expect to, to walk, and of course, the word expect many times would be translated in our Bibles as hope. <clears throat> but I steer away from that because hope is such a wimp of a word in our modern world. Uh, the word hope means to expect. 
respect with every fiber of your being that therefore all that I have entrusted to him, indeed now I am participating with him in the reality that they are in his hands and that includes the hostile persons and situations. They all come within that that he works all things together for good and for his glory. And I say again, we're participating in that. We're not sitting back watching him do it. Our participation is then our attitude toward them that arises from that. You put all that together, and and you'll find meekness in in 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 4, where it, it is describing a life that lives in and from and of the love of God. Do you remember it says, love is patient, love is kind, love is not rude, Love is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It takes that whole sentence to describe uh, what you walk into when you walk up to a meek person. Um, and, and, of course, then there's Galatians 5.14. You know that. Um, rather, Galatians 5.22, I should have said. Um, uh, the fruit of the Spirit is love. It, it is joy. It is peace, it is patience, it is kindness, it is goodness and faithfulness. And then it says gentleness, but um, that should have been translated as it is meekness and self-control against such there's no law. That, 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 you see, all those words begin to happen in a person who is walking in meekness. Uh, and then there's Ephesians 4. And it begins in Ephesians 4, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you, I entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. That is what he's about to say. This is what you've been called to. This is the Christian life. That with all humility and meekness, with patience, showing forbearance or forgiving love to one another. Or what about it in Colossians? In Colossians 3 and in verse 12, it's very similar. He said, as those who have been chosen of God, that is who you are, holy, beloved, put on a heart of compassion. And I'll talk more about that in a minute, but that's meekness in action kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against any, forgive just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. You see, this is the Christian life. It's the heart of it. There is no Christian life in full function, in maturity, until we've come to realize the fruit of the Spirit of meekness. You see, let me put it like this. We, we say that when we come to Christ, we have joy and we have peace at this supernatural level. Well, that is 100% true. But how can I say that this life of Christ, this joy of the Lord, this peace of God that passes human understanding, it's not magic. Hear me very carefully here. 
because I've been too many places where it's presented like that, that now you're a Christian, so this sort of, I don't know, this this blanket of joy is just going to happen, and suddenly you're going to ding-dong, have peace. Um, no, it doesn't work like that. The The fruit of the Spirit does not work in isolation. That is, you don't have joy, as if he didn't say anything else. No, they they come, they they arise from, they're expressed from meekness. As I walk in meekness, so I walk into the joy which the Holy Spirit gives. To have an attitude to life of meekness will produce the peace of God that passes all human understanding. Think about that. I suppose it would be true to say that the heart of meekness is not anger, it's not violence, but gentle and kind. And that is where the many translators put in the word gentle or gentleness instead of meekness, which in that sense, yeah, it's okay because meekness will produce gentleness. But to say that meekness is gentleness has missed the point. Meekness is everything I've just said. It produces gentleness and kindness so that you could say that all hostility, all rage and anger, anxiety, frustration, despair, they're all outside of meekness. That is, if you will not trust yourself to his love, if you do not entrust your life to him, if you do not walk out expecting this to be so, then you're going to have a lot of anger, you're going to be filled with anxiety, you are going to have one miserable life. You'll need a lot of pills to make it through the day. No, the the, the meek, they, they, they're not angry, they're not anxious. They, they've overcome that in this meekness that is produced by the Holy Spirit. So if it isn't anger, if it isn't anxiety, if it isn't fighting against my life as I am receiving it, then it looks awful much like what the world says, doesn't it? It looks like I'm a doormat. It looks like it. It, it. it looks as if I'm a coward. I'm not facing light. In fact, it looks as if I'm betraying myself and not standing up for myself. No, no. Meekness is not passive resignation to happenings. It's not. Meekness is not sitting back and saying, oh, well, what is to be will be. You know, here comes life. I'll just lay down and let them walk on me. Um, Nor is it that shrug, you know, that it it, it says, well, let everything, I mean, this is the way things are, and I'm not going to fight it. I'm not going to get angry about it. So I just let it be. Um, No, because meekness has entrusted all this to him and is expecting that his kingdom here will come and his will shall be done on earth as it is in heaven. No, it's meekness is active. 
Meekness is the active, very effective energy of trusting in and entrusting all things to him. Look, let's look at this thing called anger. What what is anger? Um, Sometimes, especially more Old Testament maybe, but the word spirit, not capital S, spirit, human spirit, is um, paralleled with, with anger. Anger is the going forth of spirit. That is, you're in the realm of energy. It's going forth of a great energy. Um, But the trouble is, oh, is this trouble. May God the Holy Spirit open our eyes for sure at this point. You see, when we think of anger, or the other word that's um, used more in the Bible than in language today, wrath. Um, But when we think of anger or wrath, we automatically think of human anger. Corrupted human anger. Again, we're we're at the very source of, of, of the lie. And some of these words, we've never thought of them outside of their being rotted with the lie. And human anger, as we think of it, generally speaking, is an anger corrupted by the self-for-myself heart attitude. Okay, human anger. And please... Have the grace to listen to me because this touches us uh, very deeply sometimes. Human anger, it is that inner energy of the human spirit, the energy of self protecting self. See, anger to the human is that I- I'm threatened. And I'm standing here and I am ready to protect myself. It's self-protecting self. But unfortunately, human anger is protecting that self which rose up in rebellion against God to be the center of its universe. And so human anger becomes a cocktail of hurt pride. That is, someone has not allowed me to have what I'm entitled for. And so I, I'm angry. Someone said to me, did you hear what they said? And I'm offended. You have dared to touch me in my deepest self with your words. What, what she did, did you see what she did? did? Did you hear what he said? And anger rises to protect myself, to threaten to prove to you I'm not what you said I am. But the trouble with human anger, essentially it's, it's out of control. We even use the term, don't we? I, you know, lost my temper. Or we, we say, and you see, within the world we boast about these things. You see the look on someone's face. They say, well, she said this and I just lost it. 
yeah, you, you were out of control, totally out of control. That's, that's human anger. It's energy just exploding outwardly. And as it goes out in its energy, it only has one agenda. And hear me, please. This is the truth. It, its agenda is to destroy. That, that is, you said that, well, I'm going to destroy what you said. And if it goes too far, I might end up destroying you. You hurt me, so I'm going to hurt you. And the words pour out and the face rises in blush and temper. And I I want to punish you equal to the way you hurt me. And so it comes out with threats and with curses and... I'm going to steal away what you took from me. And of course, face it, that that energy at its end is murder. And, and, and so it's very dangerous. And as I say, it's going nowhere. It's just, it just out. And we've lost it. And there's nobody at the wheel. The car's out of control, but someone's got a foot on the accelerator. It's dangerous. Um, I, I'm old enough to remember when we only had steam trains. Some of you don't even know what that is. But <clears throat> we, we had the trains and you, you had the um, fellows in, in the engine room where, where they were putting the coal in and the logs to keep the fire burning and then that heated the steam and the steam made the wheels go round. I was raised with that most of my life. And you, you go to the great stations in London where, where all these trains came in and they're, they're heating it up and they're getting ready to go, but it's out of gear. And so all you heard was the, the tremendous letting off of steam as they were testing how much pressure they had. And the noise and the steam filled the whole station. And it was more than annoying. You were coughing in, in the steam and you couldn't talk to anyone because of the noise. Um, that's very much like anger. It, it's, it's noise and it's it's destructive to people and, and it upsets relationships, but you're going absolutely nowhere because after all that letting off of steam, the engine just sat there in the station and gone anywhere. Anger, human anger, dead end, never arriving at a conclusion except to hurt as many people as you can. Well, you see, this is our problem. The Bible speaks of God's anger. Got our faces all over the Bible. And, and, and of course, we think that what I've just described as human anger, we think that's what the word anger means. No, it doesn't. That's not what anger means. That's what happened to anger after we believed the lie that we're the center of the universe. And therefore, I've got to prove it and I've got to destroy you if you don't think so. That's not anger. That's anger twisted, distorted by sin and the lie. God's anger is, of course, God's angry. <laughs> but not, not that. No, God's anger is beautiful anger. You see, God is love. He doesn't have it. 
So he doesn't have some love and then he's got another side to him called anger. No. God is love and therefore God's anger is an expression of love. It has to be. God's anger. Yes, because he is not passive. You know, the idea some people have of God is passive being. In fact, I mean, some of the most famous religious paintings in the world, you know, of, of, do you remember that one um, where, where you have God pictured a, as an old man? Have you seen those? God, the, the, he looks as if he's about to croak, but, but he's so old and he's got his finger out. And, and Adam, just first created, reaches out and they touch uh, and... Uh, well, it's fine about Adam, but why do, they, why do they make God look like he's in an old folks' home? It's um, maybe even in hospice. So passive, you see. And even when people say, well, God is love, they really think of him as a, an old grandfather. You know, he's nice and he smiles at the screaming kids and, and he's just rocking in the chair. Nice, he's love, benign. Please, the God who comes to us in the Scripture is not passive. He's not a God unmoved, which is what many religions of centuries have given to us, the idea that God is unmoved. We can't... No, he's described as rising up. Rising up against everything everything that would bring to nothing his love intention for his beloved human. Did you hear that? He is not passive. He's not unmoved. Rather, he rises up against anything that would challenge his love, his love intention for you and I, his beloved human race. Anyway, I could say this, if God is love, love that does not confront evil is not good. In fact, it would be suicidal because the object of evil is to destroy love. No, everything that love is must rise up to say a resounding, passionate no to all that would seek to destroy that love intention. And so when I speak of God, anger, it is the intense, that's a weak word, intense, because it's the unlimited God in his unlimited love. God, anger, the unlimited intensity of the effective, that's that's what omnipotence means, all-powerful, love, energy, to tear down the lie and to render helpless the liar. To put away sin that has blitzed and blighted his beloved humans. To release those captive to the lie. To heal sickness of spirit and mind, emotion and body which came in through the lie 
and to expose and bring down the systems that hold humans captive to the lie, which includes the power of the state and the deception of religion, systems, world systems that would hold humans captive in their minds and bodies to the lie. And behind all of his beautiful anger is the passion that God be glorified in the Father through the Son in the Holy Spirit. Did you get that? See, okay, let me say this. The incarnation, that is when God became human, became our brother in this human race without ever ceasing to be God, becoming a full human, the full human, the incarnation. Have you ever thought of this? Is the ultimate act of God's anger. That is, he's the no of God to Satan, to the lie, to sin, and to death. The no, the divine no went so far, his anger so perfect that he said, I will not let that be. And so God himself joined us and assumed our situation. He became our sin. He became our curse. And he exposed himself to Satan that he might embrace it and take it to death forever. Ever thought of that being the anger of God? The whole life of Jesus is uh, centered around the word compassion. You know, he, he saw the multitudes as they were beaten up by religion, and it says he was moved with compassion to teach them the truth. And he looked on the sick and had compassion. Go through the Gospels, that beautiful word. But do you know what compassion means? Um, I mean, well, just for starters, com, I've said before, that's the Latin word for with, Passion, passion, oh, whatever compassion is, it is with passion. It actually comes from most ancient sources. Uh, The word compassion in most ancient uh, centuries uh, meant, meant the guts. It meant the intestines, the liver, the heart. It is what the pagans, when they were sacrificing to their gods, they they would take the guts of the animal sacrificed and hold them, the intestines and the, the guts in their hands. And that was called the compassions. That is the very guts of, of the creature held in the hands, the compassion. And, and that came to mean then... Uh, a love that is expressed by the totality of my being focused in passion. So you could say that compassion is angry love. Jesus looked to what religion had done to people and the beautiful anger of God rose. No! But always God's anger 
doesn't only say no, it's swallowed up by his yes. That his no of anger is his love that would restore and enlighten and heal. And so, Jesus, Jesus is meekness. More of that in a minute. But wherever I find his love, he's, he's never a self-protecting anger. Never. He never gets... Can you, can you even imagine a Jesus that is, is saying, you, you said that nasty thing to me, I won't talk to you for a week. Can, can you see Jesus pouting in a corner and Peter going over and saying, have we offended you? You see, no, that all belongs to the fall. All of that, and I know it happens in your house, and, but it, it, that, it originated in the lie that you're, so, you're the center of life and everybody has to say the right thing to you and if not, you won't talk to them or you'll lose your temper or so on. That was never, 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 never did Jesus. He, he had no self-protecting self. He was not a self for himself. His anger was the anger of God which rose out to all that would stand against his love intentions for his dearest beloved humans. And so he warred against the lie but he warred against it with meekness. It's amazing. See, here's the disciples. On the night in which Jesus was betrayed, can you imagine? The disciples are arguing as to who was the greatest. Yay. <laughs> That's the Garden of Eden come of age right there in the upper room before Jesus will go to die. They're arguing as to who was the greatest, who was the most important, who was it that would get the best seats in the coming kingdom of God. What does Jesus do? Does he slam his fist on the table and say, for goodness sake, all these years I've been with you and you still don't understand what I'm... No. Oh, with, with such intention. John tells us, he said at that moment... It was the moment of moments. Jesus knew who he was. He knew that he had come from God. He knew that he was returning to the Father. And he knew that the Father had put into his hands the salvation of mankind. And knowing, <laughs> that's it, knowing who he really is, as opposed to these pipsqueaks who think they're God, Jesus knows who he is. But the way God in our humanity always acts is with meekness. And so as they're arguing, he slowly stood to his feet with great intention, with beautiful calmness and control. And he took off his outer garment. And he walked over to the corner where there was a jug of water and a basin and a cloth, a towel, unused because these were so obsessed with their greatness, none of them would take the posture of the lowest servant in the house to wash feet. But Jesus now, who knows he is God, one with our human, and knows that he is the Savior, 
He could have said, stop it, come and worship me. But instead, with that calmness, he takes the water and he kneels at their feet with a towel upon his arm and he pours the water over their feet and he washes their feet, taking the place of the lowest servant. It had a great effect of shutting them up. But also he then sat down and says, do you see what I have done? That is, in this kingdom of God, the greatest is the foot washer. The greatest is the servant of all. We don't have war as to who is the greatest. You you get what I mean? And of course, it's when Jesus was uh, suffering, that is, we, we come to... Um, the actual point of his suffering, when the Romans had taken him, it says in 1 Peter 2.24, well, really, no, before that, he he speaks of Jesus left as an example. It's about the only time in the Bible where it speaks of what he did as an example. Elsewhere, it's always that he did it for us. This time he did it for us, but uh, as well as doing it for us, He left an example for you to follow in his steps. And it goes on that he who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. That is when they cursed him and spat at him and he did not return language for language or attitude for attitude. When he suffered, he did not threaten. And if anybody could have th- make threats that had something behind them, I mean, he said he could call for thousands of angels to protect him. He's here intentionally. When he suffered, he didn't threaten, made no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. That's meekness. That is, I I can do nothing about this and therefore I entrust the whole matter to him. Therefore that leaves me free that as they do their worst to me, I can say, I forgive you. I forgive you. That's meekness. It's anger, but it's anger under the direction of the Holy Spirit. It's anger that only wills to advance the prosperity of the love of God and His glory. And in resurrection, Jesus brought forth a new race. Yes, I mean that, a new race. You're not just the people who meet in First Church of whatever down on Main Street. You are the new race that springs forth from Jesus, the new Adam, the last Adam. And we live by a life quite other from this world. We're in the world, but we're not of it. We are no more of this world than Jesus is. He said that in John 17. We live by his life, and at the heart of that life is meekness. Well, how on earth can we live such a life? I mean, give me a break. I say again, self for self. And maybe now you're, you're realizing what the Bible means by the flesh. You can feel its stirrings. Self is a, it, it looks like, are you crazy to live like that? It's a betrayal of self. 
It's a kind of self-suicide. I, I, can, can I imagine life without my fists up, ready to give hostility for hostility, curse for curse? And you're not. I've got. I, I'm going to get to my end, even if I have to tread on you and walk on you. And no wonder the world mocks meekness, calls it weakness, a spineless wimp. See, the flesh will promise to try. Oh, I love that religious tongue-in-cheek, you know, promise to try. Anyone who knows what I'm talking about, you know you can't try to be gentle. You can't try to be meek. Forget it. Uh, And I'm not against if you're managing your anger. Thank God you are. But... That, that just deals with you in society. It doesn't deal with what we're talking about as you, the human, are in relationship with the God who passionately loves you, where anger, as we in the world understand it, is crucified with Christ. He took it to death. Um, so I'm talking about something beyond managing it. Um, and all manner of self-denials, you know, if you're, you're deeply into piety and, and that area of religion, self-denial, I mean, how many times are you going to fast? How many times are you going to beat yourself? How many times are you going to hate yourself? And say, I'm unworthy, I'm no good, and, you know, take a whip and beat yourself. Uh, you know there's plenty doing that right now. Um, so it, it goes nowhere. It just says, I, I, I'm not making it, I'm a lousy sinner, and... Now, what I'm to, I said, how do you live this life? Not dance around it and say, I can't make it. See, this is, this is the mark of the Messiah. And if we're in the Messiah, then it's our mark too. It's the hallmark of the Messiah. Zechariah 9 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just. He is endowed or carrying salvation. He is meek and mounted on a donkey. We are this this coming Sunday is Palm Sunday. And, and that prophecy of Zechariah was about Palm Sunday. And, and we get all, you know, about the palm leaves and the whole fact is that Jesus now comes into Jerusalem with the hallmark, the stamp of the Messiah, that he is the great leader of the new human race. He is about to enact the cosmic salvation, but he comes not on a war horse. He doesn't come as saying, I am the leader. Time will tell, but he surely is, and the whole universe will fall before him, but all he seeks is God's glory and and to bring about love, salvation. And so um, he comes in meek, doesn't tread on people, doesn't push people out of the way. And then he says in Matthew 11, Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am meek and humble in heart. You shall find rest for your soul. It's the only time Jesus said anything about who he was. I am meek. 
says the definition of himself. He doesn't say, I'm all-powerful. Jesus was not defined by his power. He was defined by meekness. And through meekness, all the power of God can be manifested. And he calls us to partake in his meekness. Not to try and be like him, but to partake, to participate in his life and his meekness. So that Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, 1, I beseech you by the meekness of Christ. He, he was dealing with these people in the meekness of Christ. And in so doing, in that passage in Matthew 11, remember he says, take my yoke. Now, do you know what that is? That's, that's what went on the neck of the oxen. Do you remember? Um, yes, I do remember in England when we actually had oxen with, with uh, their, their yokes on them. But uh, modern people don't know anything about that. But you plowed. You plowed the field with two oxen. And, and the, you put the yoke, the yoke around the neck of the one, the yoke around the neck of the other, and they were joined together. So it was the strength of the two as one. And Jesus uses that image, which of course was, that's the way they plowed in Israel. And, and um, it's interesting he used that. It's the only time he did. Talked about his relationship in terms of meekness. He described himself as an ox and described us as untrained ox that are going to be yoked together with him. That's how they trained an oxen. Put it with an old experienced ox and it would learn to do it. Well, just a minute. That, that's, that's incredible because, you see, in the original language of the Bible languages, the word meek was applied to a tamed or domesticated animal. Isn't that fantastic? You see, an ox, an ox was not weak. Ox was tremendous strength. But it's submitted, you see, it's taken its place. It's harnessed now to the wisdom of the plowman. And therefore, all that strength now is achieving the plowman's intention. As I've said maybe too many times, I spent a lot of uh, time all through the 1970s, 80s, and into the 90s, I was traveling the world on all continents and spent very much time in, in African jungles um, sharing this message. But in, in the jungles of Africa, you met one of the most dangerous creatures in Africa. It's the African elephant. Uh, I have been chased by an African elephant. I have crawled on my belly through a herd of them. They are not nice creatures. They're not nice. You can never pet them. Never, never, never get near them. I've hardly ever seen one that isn't on the edge of pure rage or in rage. Uh, I've never heard of a tamed African elephant. And, and as you follow them through the jungle, everywhere they go, it's destruction. It's destruction. Um, and, and, well, uh, that, that's the African elephant. It's, it's an an animal just in, in all its terrible strength is used for nothing. 
except just to destroy. Now, I've also been to India and to Thailand, and there you find a different thing. You find the Indian elephant is a different creature. Oh, they look alike, except for their ears. But the Indian elephant, he is submitted. That is, he's found his place, and, and he's taught, and now he fits in with his humans and he will be your very best friend and also he will share his wisdom and his strength and help you to build and yeah he's got all the strength of the African elephant but it's now submitted and used for purpose we got a lot of floods around here in this part of Texas and right down there at our creek you you will see the trees down and the rocks that were picked up and thrown out of the way as the floods poured through here Um, or you can see a river that was not affected where it's well within its banks and and it's a river of beauty and, and it's delighting people around it and it's being used for good purpose anger out of control flood water or river within its banks, an African raging elephant doing nothing except scaring and destroying, or a tamed Indian elephant. Jesus said, I'm like an ox, all the strength of God, but in submission to being the very expression of the love of God. And we, he said, come and be yoked together with me. Come He's, all, he's transformed us. He didn't say that we're jackasses and now we've got to come and be yoked to an ox. He said to us as if we're little oxen. We, we are ox, but we, we now need to be trained. We now need in submission to him. We need to learn this life of meekness. And wherein is the yoke? The yoke is the Holy Spirit who joins us. In fact, this word that he used, learn of me, the word means to come to know. That is, you won't know all in a minute, but you'll come to know. Or it means to become, same idea, become acquainted with. It means the personal experience of joining in with him and learning, become acquainted with his attitude, with his ways. And he says, by being yoked together through the Holy Spirit. And so this learning is not a textbook thing. You don't get a book on meekness in 12 easy lessons. No, Jesus is the subject. He is meekness who became human and dwelt among us. And the Holy Spirit is the teacher, as Jesus said. It's it's not an external textbook, not an external teacher, not a class you go to, but rather he's working within us that we actually would now become one with the meekness of Jesus. And so in 1 John 2 verse 5, he, he says, By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him or resides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. Well, there you have it, don't you? There you have it. That Jesus said, come like like a fellow ox yoked to me and and we'll abide together. We'll reside together. We'll live 
Well, more than together, he used the word in. He said, I will be in you and you will be in me and we'll walk together and you will learn of me. I will be your inner teacher through the Holy Spirit. There it is. And it's from within that meekness that we walk in the joy of the Lord and we walk in the peace of God. And the love of God now can truly be manifested in us. And so I I call you very seriously to be aware of what has been happening. This has been happening to you because this is what it is to be a Christian. But I'm pointing it out now so you can intentionally and with understanding participate. You in the incoming week are going to walk into a thousand situations where your attitude has been trained to protect yourself or to get your own way and to get your own way if necessary by losing your temper, treading on others. It's all about my way. I'm I'm suggesting that those things are now entrusted to him. And he is your ultimate shield. He is your ultimate protection. Therefore, I don't have to rise in anger to protect myself. Rather, to do everything that one can do, but the ultimate protection is in his hands. I don't have to anxiety, have the angst over my house, my finances, my future, and what if, and what if, because I've entrusted that to him. And therefore, I am now free within that to discover what he is building into me and to ask of him, how can I fit into what you're doing? And as I said last week, but I have to say it again, This is not sitting down and letting people smash you. And I I feel a a strong, if you're being abused in any way, um, especially I speak to abused women, um, you don't sit there and take it. And you might have been told to do that by the church, but no, you do not sit there and take it and call it meekness. You do everything in your power to get away from that. As I said last week, get out of there and go to a women's shelter. Get out of there. Meekness is not sitting down just to take it for the sake of taking it. No, but it does mean when I can't do anything, when I'm hedged in, when I feel that I'm helpless and therefore the only thing is to rage and curse and threaten. and No, it is from the get-go I understand I'm in his hands. And he's carrying me through this, carrying me through. In Katrina, that terrible hurricane that hit uh, Houston, uh, many of the refugees came here to San Antonio, and some even came to Bandera. And I remember one lady, um, African-American lady, 
and um, she stood and she told us that as the flood water, she was in the ninth ward where it was that was the biggest flood, and and as the waters rose and there was no sign of anyone coming to rescue, and, and she had a little tiny baby and, and a toddler, and, and she put the baby high under her chin and took the toddler around her neck, and she said, "Father, I thank you. We are in your hands." And I am now going to step out and you are going to put my feet where it's to go. And she walked out into the flood water. She had waited for someone to rescue. No one came. So what do I do? Well, I recognize what has always been true, that I'm in his hand. So there's only one thing to do. And she stepped out into the water and she said it rose around her waist and and she was holding the baby and the little toddler clinging to her hair. And she walked, and all the way she was giving praise to God, saying, you're, you're leading me, you're leading me. And suddenly found the water was getting shallower, and she came up a ramp, and there she was. She'd arrived at the very center of the rescue operation. And they took her away, and she settled down, and today has a life infinitely better than she'd ever had in the Ninth Ward. It's, it's I mean, his hands. He said, that's where you rest, you act normally. You don't look for trouble just to prove you can take it on the chin. That's daft. No, but you, you recognize there is no place for anger, you see. So, so, so the traffic is against me, and I, I, I want to get home. Yes, I know you want to get home, but supposing, supposing you stop being angry and cursing out every driver on the road, and supposing you recognize this car is filled with the Holy Spirit, and if he wants me... He can carry me through this very quickly in ways beyond my understanding. But if not, let's let this be a place of, of letting him speak to me. But he's got me now, hasn't he? He's got me for the next half an hour. Uh, talk, Lord, speak to me and let that car become the very holy of holies. I speak that which I know. I lived in Manhattan, lived in Brooklyn, and I have lived on the New York City throughways. That's where I learned that. Well, time has gone, and what do you know? We still haven't got to They Shall Inherit the Earth, so next week we're going to wrap this up for sure. For the meek shall inherit the earth. And now the blessing of God who is almighty love. Open the eyes of your understanding. Reveal to you that Christ indeed is your life. He is your meekness. And that in this incoming week, you shall be aware of the teaching of the Holy Spirit, bringing you to this glorious life of peace and joy and freedom from anger and anxiety that is living in God's love. So I bless you this night, and that is the way it is.